Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. month in the month of November. Can you believe it's November next Sunday? Sheesh. Next, next Sunday we'll be starting this idea of shadows. And so we will be looking at shadows in the Old Testament, looking for Christ in some of the Old Testament. And so, so we'll be looking at Exodus. Um, we'll be looking in the 24th and 25th chapters about shadows. And then in December, we're going to be coming not to look at the shadow, but to look at the substance. And we're going to look at Christ coming from different perspectives and different characters in the New Testament. And then after the first of the year, the Lord will tell us where we're going to go from there. So we're looking at verse 15 and 16. These are our last two commandments. We're going to try to accomplish both of them today. And so we're looking at the don't steal and the don't bear false witness or don't lie. And so that's what we're looking at today. So if you'll look at your word, let's look at verse 15. Are you there in your copy of God's word? Amen. All right. If you didn't bring a copy of God's word, there's a black hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Grab that and open it up. Uh, We would love to have you do that. Now, it says in verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right, those are our two verses for the day. We're going to dive in. Now remember, let's just rewind in our brains and remember the purpose and the summary of the law. So the summary of the law, remember there are two tables of the law. The two tables of the Ten Commandments are Commandments 1 through 4, which all are vertical, our relationship with God, okay? No other gods, uh, no idols, don't use His name in vain, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they are, they are about our relationship with God, how we worship and love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second table is Commandments 5 through 10, and those commandments are all about our relationships with one another, all about our relationships with one another. But here's the reality, if you'll get the first four right, you'll get the last six right. But you can't get the last six right if you don't get the first four right. And let me tell you, if you're not getting the last six right, I promise you, you're not getting the first four right. And so we want to see that Jesus says, he's asked a question by a lawyer who is proficient in the law. He says, what's the most important commandment? And the lawyer says, or Jesus says to the lawyer, "Um, love God. And he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. He says, all of the law and all of the prophets is fulfilled in this. And so if you are struggling with the Christian life, if you'll focus on loving God primarily above all things, I promise many of the other things will fall into place. Love Him. 
love him. And now, that's the summary of the law. Love God, love neighbor. And, and the purpose of the law, remember, please, please remember that I am not teaching a message about how you can be saved by your good works. That is not ever true, okay? God did not give the law to Israel to say, if you will keep all these rules, then I will write your name down in the Lamb's book of life and you'll have a place in heaven. Why cannot not be true? Because nobody has ever kept the law perfectly except for Jesus. Nobody's ever kept the law perfectly. I have broken the law, you have broken the law, and before God, we're all lawbreakers. And James, James, the brother of Jesus, says, if you break one commandment in the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And so all of us are lawbreakers, and now all of us need a Savior. So these things are not to point us to how we are saved in and of our own merit and works and efforts, but all of these things are reminders, constant reminders, of how fall or how short we fall of God's glorious standard and how much we need someone to save me because I can't save myself. So if you're out here today, let me tell you, we all fall into one category, or one of two categories. We all fall into those who have been saved or those who need to be saved. And we all make bad saviors. So today, don't leave this place without coming into this relationship with Jesus, entrusting your sin to Jesus. And if you'll do that today, I promise you will leave here completely unburdened of your sin with a brand new life. Now, what are these two commandments? What are these two commandments? Two commandments are don't steal. Thou, you shall not steal, and the second one, you shall not bear false witness. So what does it mean not to steal? What does it mean, okay? Now, remember coveting. Coveting was longing for something, having a desire for something that doesn't belong to you. So if coveting is longing for something that doesn't belong to you, then stealing is acting upon that unchecked desire. So stealing is acting, acting upon coveting. Now, this is what's interesting. As you read the book of Exodus, if you'll continue on, Chapters 21, verse 33, all the way down to 22, verse 15, are all about laws of restitution. So if I steal something from someone, what is the restitution that I should pay if I'm found out to be guilty of stealing? And so in 20, uh, 21 to 22, you'll hear about all of the problems that stealing involves. But I want to just make a connection a minute. There is a lot of stealing in the Ten Commandments, and here's what I mean. Having an idol steals worship from God. Having, taking God's name in vain steals value and honor from the name above all names. Breaking the Sabbath, or not honoring the Sabbath, steals a part of the week that belongs to Him and you alone. Not honoring father and mother is trying to steal the authority that God has put in place. Murder is stealing life. Bearing false witness is stealing the character of a person. And coveting and adultery is stealing something that does not belong to you specifically in a sexual relationship. Now, as we look at these ten commandments, we say, wow, there's a lot of stealing happening in those ten. So the question is, why do we steal? Why do we steal? 
Now you and, and, and I are, are probably thinking to ourselves, well, on this one I'm pretty good, but I, I just want to remind you that all of us are probably guilty of this at some point in time or another. Whether you, have you ever stolen something that was worth a quarter or $25 or $250? All of us are guilty. All of us are guilty on some level or another. Now, most of us probably did not hold up a bank at gunpoint and rob it. I hope not. And if you did, tithe off of that, okay? Just kidding. Lighten up. But, but we've all stolen. Maybe you've stolen from a boss where you've not worked as diligently as you ought to have. Maybe we've stolen by being a lazy father or husband. Stolen something that is belonging to our spouse. Many of us have stolen from God His honor and His authority and His lordship that that only belongs to Him, that glory that only belongs to Him. So why do we steal? Two reasons I'll give you. Number one, it's because our loves are disordered. It's because our loves are disordered. And what, what do I mean by that? It means that, that I believe that I exist for things rather than for God. The, the loves of my heart. I use God to get things. So in other words, God becomes a means to what I really desire. Which is idolatry. So I think that I exist for things, and when things are my end goal, I will use people to love things. When things are the, the, what I live for, that I exist for them, I will end up doing whatever it takes to get those things. And it doesn't matter if I steal or cheat or lie to get my way there. It's because the loves of my heart are disordered. And what Jesus does is when Jesus comes into a life... He doesn't just change our outward behavior, but He begins little by little to change the love order in our heart. Because remember, Jesus is not after your outward uh, behavior modification. He's out after heart transformation. Because He can get you to change the way you behave and you have no relationship with Him. But when He gets your heart, your behavior will follow. You remember the first time you fell in love? I mean, love makes you do silly things, doesn't it? How much more when you fall in love with the God of the universe will it change your heart and your behavior? So our loves are disordered. And second is we don't trust that God is our provider. We don't trust that God is our provider. So when I don't trust that God is my provider, and I do not trust that God has sovereignly put me right where I am, and that God will graciously give me everything that I need to live, not want, but need to live, when I don't trust God's sovereign hand and providential care over my life, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it into my own hands. And that's when we steal That's when we steal. And again, James, the brother of Jesus, talks about how we want and we covet and we long for things. And when we don't get them, we murder and we lie and we steal. 
So it's because we, our loves are out of order and I don't trust the Lord that we steal. Stealing is wrong. We should not have to convince one another of that. It does not build up the community. There is objective truth that says God will give you what you need and therefore don't steal from others. That is true. Secondly, lie. Lie. Now, when we often will just say don't lie, but the, the idea here is that you would not speak a false or a deceptive witness. So that's what it means to lie. Don't speak a false or deceptive witness. Now, if you're reading on in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verses 1 through 9, gives us seven ways that we should avoid this idea of a false or deceptive witness. And in verse 23, 1, they're on the screen for you, the first way that we can bear false witness is to give a false report. To give a false report. And specifically, in a legal case, we give a false report. Secondly, in 23.1, we can give a malicious witness. We can malign somebody in giving a testimony, and we can speak evil of that person falsely. The third way, in 23.2, it says, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor bear witness in a lawsuit to um, pervert justice. Now, these are straight out of Exodus chapter 23. And then it goes on in 23, verse 3. It says, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So these are all ways that we can uh, bear false witness and, and, and decept, be, be deceptive and pervert justice. 23.3, so that, that idea of um, be, being partial don't be partial to a poor man. Show no partiality. And then in verse 6, 23 verse 6, it says, You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Verse 7 says, Keep free from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for which I will not acquit the wicked. And then in verse 8, the last way, it talks about bribes. He says, and you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. And so we see seven different ways that God gives to the people of Israel of don't bear a false or a deceptive witness. And so let's bring this home for a moment, because most likely, most of us will not find ourselves in a court case this week where we can do this, but let's talk about lying in general, or bearing false witness in general. So why do we do that? Why would these people do that? Number one, uh, just a couple reasons again, why we might lie. Number one is we fear man. We fear man more than we fear God. There is a book um, I'm trying to remember the, the, the author who wrote it. It's on my desk, and it says, When people are big, God is small. When people are big, God is small. And it, one of the chapters points to the idea that when people are big in my eyes, and I am afraid of them, and I have the fear of man in my life, that I will lie to them because I'm afraid of them. And the solution to that is not... Um, anything other than to have a proper fear for God. We lie to cover our tails. We, we lie because uh, we want to look better in other people's eyes. We lie to destroy those that we're afraid of. 
We lie because we have fear of man. But this is what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says to us. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So when we fear man and we're tempted to lie, to do any of those number of things, the answer is to have a fear of the Lord. Why? Because it's a fountain of life. And that fear of the Lord will turn you away from snares of death. We lie, secondly, to get the desires of our heart. So first, we, we lie sometimes because we fear people. We want their approval. Secondly, we lie to get the desires of our heart. Remember, go back to the first part about stealing. Uh, I, when my loves go unchecked and they're out of order, when I, my loves of my heart are that way, I will lie to get what my heart really wants. I'll lie to move up the ladder. I'll lie to get the promotion. I'll lie to make my numbers look better. I'll lie to get revenge. And I'll do that to per- pervert justice. And I'll lie to prove a point. I will, there are a number of reasons why I might not tell the truth or I might bear false witness, but I'll do that because there is something that my heart longs for that the lie is a means to get. And so when we look at stealing and when we look at lying, all of us have stolen something at some point in time in our lives and we are guilty And all of us have told a lie, whether it's a big lie or what we call in our culture a little white lie. That's a harmless lie. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. And so let's come after the heart. That's what Jesus does. He comes after the heart of the commandment. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37, this is what Jesus says about lying. He says, again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. You see that? He says, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you simply or what you say be simply yes or no. Any more than this comes from evil. Now here Jesus is coming for the heart of us, his people, and he's telling his people to guard themselves from rash vows. And if you look back at the Old Testament, there are a string of rash vows. People make vows to God without thinking through the vow that they're making. And there's a story of a man named Jephthah. I believe it is in the book of um, Judges. And Jephthah makes a rash vow that nobody should eat or drink. Uh, no, that, that's Saul's rash vow. I'm sorry. That if anybody eats or drink until David, his enemy, is, is uh, conquered, then, 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 then that person should be killed. And there's a whole uh, group of them who take food, nourishment. And he's got to go back on his word. He made a vow to the Lord. Jephthah says, the first thing that I see when I come home after victory in battle, the first thing that I'll see, I'll sacrifice to the Lord. And the first thing that's waiting at his door for her father to come home is his little girl, his only daughter. He's made a rash vow and it causes him great heartache and trouble. And so Jesus here is saying, saying, please protect yourself from making vows, they have a way of causing problems. He says, in other words, don't make a vow 
to God that you have no intention of fulfilling or performing. Now, have you ever said or prayed something like this? You're in a, a really trying, troubled time, and you say, God, if you'll get me out of this, then I will. And you, you say, I'll either do these things or I'll stop doing that thing. He says, don't make vows like that. Because let's be honest, the goal of that vow is not to either do this or to stop doing that, but the goal of the vow is to get you out of the trouble that you're in, out of the predicament. He's keeping us from making vows. And sometimes we just have no intention of making that vow or fulfilling that vow. Most of those prayers are simply an attempt to manipulate the all-knowing God of the universe to get something that we feel like we can't live without. God, if you'll just get me this, then I promise you I will that. But we can't, we cannot manipulate God. He says, don't swear by anything. Don't swear by anything. Now, we might not swear like Jesus says, where they took an oath by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, or by Jerusalem. We might not swear that way, but I do hear people say all the time, well, I swear on the Holy Bible. You ever heard somebody say that? I swear on my mama's grave. I swear to God. Have you heard people say those things? He's saying, knock it off. Don't swear by your mama's grave or on the Holy Bible. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, is what he says. In other words, listen to me. This, I, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. In other words, when you give somebody your word, it becomes the will of God for your life until you accomplish it. Did you catch that? When you give somebody your word, it becomes the will of God for your life until you accomplish it. I remember being a first-time pastor, 22 years old, pastor in Columbia, South Carolina. And then there were a lot of needs inside the church. And I just remember my phone would ring off the hook. And I would tell Liz, I'll be home at 5.30 for dinner. You know what always happened at 5.12, right as I'm about to leave the church? What always happened is my phone would ring. Pastor, I need you. Can we talk? Can you meet? Can I come by? Can you come to my house? And as a young pastor, I wanted to... I wanted to do whatever my church members needed at that moment. Because it felt like in an emergency to them, so their hair must be on fire. So i got to go put it out. So I'd drive to their house, or they'd come to my office, and I'd sit with them, and I'd, I'd hear their horror stories. And two hours later, Liz would be sending me a text message after text message saying, Where are you? Are you still alive? And I'd get home to a very upset wife, and I thought I was doing the Lord's work. But what I had done is I had broken a promise to my wife, and I had broken God's will for my life because I'd given my wife my word. Are you with me? And I thought I was doing that 
and I, I meant well. But I learned that if I was going to tell Liz that I'm going to be home by 5.30, I better be home by 5.30, or I better call her and say something happened, it'll be a little later. Men, you ever learned that lesson? Mm -hmm. We're afraid to say it. When you give someone your word, it becomes the will of God for your life until you accomplish it. So whether that's a wedding vow, whether that's a, a church covenant, becoming a member of a church, when you give somebody your word, it becomes the will of God for your life. Whether it's as big as telling somebody that you're going to do something or be somewhere, I'll pray for you. How many of you ever said, I'll pray for you? You had no intention or no, no thought of that ever again. Guys, when you say, I'm going to pray for you, mean it. The opposite of this command is a person. The, on the opposite side of this command is a person. And the Bible reveals him in some certain ways. He is, in John chapter 10, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is, in John chapter 8, the father of lies. He is, in Revelation chapter 11, the accuser of the brothers. He is, according to the scriptures, the deceiver of mankind. This, on the other side of this idea of don't steal and don't bear false witness, on the other side of that is Satan himself, who is the father of lies and the thief who comes to steal. And now, church family, we can fall into the traps of Satan so easily, can't we? You ever heard that voice? Did you see what you just did? God, God doesn't, he can't forgive you. If God really knew what you were thinking, could God really love you? Have you ever heard that voice? And what happens in your heart in that moment when that little voice begins to speak? The deceiver and the accuser of the brothers speaks. What happens in that moment in your heart? Anxiety, panic, worry, doubt, fear. Amen, are you with me? You've heard it. You hear it all the time. These, this is the voice of the enemy accusing and speaking lies over your life and my life. We can fall into the traps of Satan in an instant as that little voice comes our way. You want to know the problem with that little voice? Is he does what he always does. Satan is not... All of the words that come from Satan's mouth are not lies. But sometimes they're just half-truths. You want to know why? Because if, if God really knew what I was thinking, I don't deserve His love. Is that true or not true? It's actually true. If God knew what I did, I should deserve to die and go to hell. It's true. I shouldn't be lovable or I shouldn't be forgiven. I shouldn't be redeemed. I shouldn't go to heaven. I shouldn't have a relationship with God. All of those things are true, but they're only half the truth because the Bible doesn't end there, does it? 
The Bible doesn't say that your sin separates you from God and there's no hope. The Bible says that your sin separates you from God and Jesus came to take upon himself all the sins of the world. All the sins and lies and stealing and and adultery that you would ever commit. All the idolatry and all of the stealing from God's name. All of that. Jesus came to bear all of the sin and all the weight and all the wrath and all the punishment for you. So that you and I could be forgiven, could be loved. And we could have a place sealed and secured for us in heaven. Isn't that good? So the problem is Jesus only or Satan only tells part of the truth. You know, when Satan was tempting Jesus, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written of you in Psalm 91 that the angels will bear you up so that you won't strike your foot against a heel or your, your heel against a rock. Do you know that, that Jesus, or Satan was actually quoting Psalm 91? Well, the problem is that Psalm, the next verses in Psalm 91 speak of the Messiah crushing the head of the serpent and the lion. So Satan just knows exactly what to quote to you to trap you. But Jesus speaks a better word. He speaks a better word. Let me make this practical. Stealing. Let's talk about stealing. The opposite of stealing would be that God's people would trust God and that God's people would be generous givers. Here's why. Here's what I mean by that. God's people should be generous. Why? Because God is creator and he is a generous giver. And therefore we should be producers and not just consumers. Now I know that we cannot create anything. Everything comes from the Lord. But whether it's in your home or your family or your work or your church, wherever it is, you should not simply be a consumer of all of the resources of the church or your family or or whatever it might be. You should not just be a consumer, but you should be a producer and a giver inside of that relationship that you're in. I remember the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 20. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Reorder, let God reorder the love of your heart and you will stop longing for things and you will use things to love people instead of loving things and using people. Secondly, false witness. We're talking about this as opposed to being a false witness. God's people should be truth tellers. We should be faithful witnesses. Faithful Witnesses. Now, in the, in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 25 says this. It says, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is a deceit. Let me draw this in. In the context of Proverbs, it's talking about probably a court case kind of, uh, of, of witness. So this truthful witness in a courtroom, in a legal matter, it saves lives. So in the Old Testament, one of the the things, if you were to make an accusation of a person, and that accusation would lead to the stoning death of the person, guess who was the first one to cast a stone? The accuser. So we see in this that a truthful witness saves lives. So there's the context there. But in the fulfillment of this proverb, the way a truthful witness saves lives is by speaking the truth of God's word, declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus so that people who are far from him 
would hear God's message to them that they might repent of their sins and turn to Christ so that their lives might be saved. You and I should be faithful witnesses, truth tellers in the world that we live in. And by being faithful witnesses and truth tellers in this context that we live in, guess what's going to happen through a faithful proclamation, declaration of the gospel of Jesus? Lives will be saved. Are you with me? Did you see? We baptized Miss Shannon Lee. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation. It still saves people, just like it did in the book Acts. We should be faithful witnesses. We need to preach to people the whole counsel of God's Word. Here's the tension inside the church. If I preach all of God's Word, then I'm either going to be seen as hateful and bigoted, but if I, I, I can't just preach part of God's Word because God is not just love, He is also just. So we waffle. We waffle between being very honest and maybe honest without love to being soft and cushy and not sharing the truth. But Psalm 119 says the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word. That means you total it all up, that's truth. Don't take, don't, don't, don't pick parts out that you like and parts out that you don't. Don't make it more palatable to people. No, share the whole counsel of God's word and do it in love. And if you will be a faithful witness with a loving heart, God will do what only God can do through a faithful witness. And that's save people. But it seems unloving to say hard things in this context, this culture. It seems unloving to say that God disapproves of certain actions in our lives or in our culture. It seems unloving, but in fact, the opposite is true that the most loving thing that the church can do is to stand firmly on God's Word, to preach God's Word from beginning to end, to say hard things in a loving manner, and therefore declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. It's the most loving thing that we do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Love does. It's unloving to waffle. It's unloving to not say what is true in the right way. But we've got to do it in love. Don't be jerks. Don't be mean. Don't be hateful. Don't look for a way to make jabs at a person's life. Love, the, the, the word of God is a sword, but it's only born well when God's hand is upon it, not yours. So don't use it as a weapon to kill. Preach it in love. Declare it. Start to finish. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of God. We must share all of it. We've we got to share His justice and His wrath and His love. 
We've got to share the commandments of God and His grace. We've got to share the judgment of God and His mercy. Because, as I quoted earlier, this is the last verse that we'll end up with. 1 Timothy 1, chapter, 15, or chapter 1, verse 15 16 says, The saying is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. What saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You're not beating me. Of whom I'm the foremost. And it goes on in verse 16. It says, but I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. So as the foremost of sinners, as sinners saved by grace, as those who have been redeemed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, now you are a faithful witness of His gospel and an example of His grace. You are. Your life should be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Would you stand with me? Maybe, maybe today you need to make a decision to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. You've never done that. You're walking in your own ways, your own wisdom, your own, your own life. You're doing that. Maybe today you need to ask Jesus to save you. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Is there anybody in this place today who says, Today I want to put my faith in Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I'm asking Jesus to come into my heart and to save me today. Is there anybody here who wants to make that confession? Just slide up your hand. I see you, buddy. Is there anybody else? I see you back there. I see you back there. Maybe today you've you've just come to a place where you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Lay down your life and present your body as a living sacrifice and say, God, use me as a faithful witness in the days ahead. You can do that today. You can start fresh and new. You can experience His grace and His mercy and be useful in His kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, there are hands that went up. And I pray for the hands that went up that they would have the courage today to make their need public. Father, I pray for those in this room, their hearts would be soft hearts attentive, their minds sharp. And Father, in the, the day and time that we're living, that we would make the most of our time, walking as in wisdom, because the days are evil. 
But Lord, you'd help us to be truth tellers, faithful witnesses and producers. May, may we bear fruit in these days. Make disciples who will make disciples. Lord, we love you and we need you and we lift up this prayer to you. Work now as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.